Good morning. Great to be here with you today. It is always fun coming in on Thanksgiving. There's nothing like the Thanksgiving crowd. You don't ever know who's going to be here, who's not. But it's great to worship with you. Worship team, as always, uh, thank you for leading us in worship. There's, something like, there's nothing like singing an old hymn for me. I grew up uh, going to church, and boy, that, that hymn, that caught me by surprise. I might have had a little, little shimmer in my eye as we were singing in the front row today. Um, guys, it really is great to be here uh, with you today. Happy Thanksgiving again. We're going to jump straight in. You've heard some great announcements. Uh, Amy gave you a little context to the hymn. We had story time with Amy. Uh, it was terrific. And uh, we've got a great series that we're in that we're going to be wrapping today. And um, it's called Changing the Rules of Monopoly. And you've already heard a little bit about it, kind of just our culture at large, Right? Did anybody play any games over the holidays? Does anybody do that? Or am I the only one when family comes in town, we get around the table and we play some games? Monopoly might have made an appearance for us. Monopoly deal, a little card game. I might have won. I don't know. The whole premise behind Monopoly, though, is that you would get, 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 get. You'd have, 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 have. And that you would basically beat your opponent into the ground, take their money, take their property, and own it all. You tracking with me? Yeah, <laughs> right? Nothing is more consistent with like Black Friday. I went to Target, and, you know, I stood in the line. I got a, a new phone. There was a gift card that they were giving away, and I had an upgrade, and so I got it. And I'm going to tell you right now, there were some angry people in that line who were probably holding hands the night before, thanking God for their blessings, and they were ready for somebody to pay the ultimate price at Target the next day. It's true. And so what we want to do, even though it's a, it's a game, right? We, the game of Monopoly, the tragedy is that while it's a game, many of us live our lives really with this as the foundation for how, how you live. You might have seen your parents live that way or your grandparents or mom, uh, uh, brother, sister, family, friend, where the whole, the whole idea of living is, is work as hard as you can, acquire as much as you possibly can, get up, go to work, get home, do it all over again so that your bank account is as big as possible. One day you can retire and live the life. Dragon? For many of us, this is the extent and the highest ceiling for life. And what we see in Scripture is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to earth as He's teaching and as He's preaching and as He's ministering, He's reminding those that He comes in contact with that there is another way. That the world doesn't actually work this way, or, or you can try to make it work this way, but it won't actually produce the results that you're looking for. What you really need is a peace that transcends all understanding. What you really need is the comfort and guidance of the Holy Spirit. What you really need is healthy, thriving community with other people who love God. What you really need is salvation in your soul. 
We need to be changed. And Jesus modeled something that was so different. It was so radical. It was so flat out shocking. That everybody who came into contact with him did the double step, the double take. Because Jesus gave, didn't he? Jesus would teach, Jesus would minister, Jesus would feed, Jesus would pray. Jesus spent his life doing all of these things. But really, when you sum it up, he lived a life of extreme, irrational, unexplainable generosity. He literally gave his life away. We're going to take a look at this because the series we're in is called Changing the Rules of Monopoly. And this morning, I want you to hear this. There is a different way for you to live your life than what culture says you should live by. There's a different code. There is a different set of values. There is a different God. We've already experienced the presence of the Lord this morning. I want you to know, I really sense, even as we're moving into the message right now, as we pray, I sense the Holy Spirit just moving in our hearts even right now still. I believe there's a tenderness here this morning, and Jesus wants to minister to us and breathe some fresh wind into our sails. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into the Bible. Father, thank you. We thank you for moments like Thanksgiving. God, we thank you for holidays where we hopefully have a, a day off, God, where we can spend time with, with family and friends and, and hit reset and fix our eyes upon you. And God, if we haven't had time to do that yet, God, let it be now. Where we fix our gaze upon you. Lord, it is our great desire Lord, to follow you, to be led by you. God, would you comfort us this morning? Minister to us today. It's in your great name we pray, amen. I love this series, not just because I love playing games, which I do. If you know me at all, my brother-in-law and I took our, son, our sons snipe hunting last night. I may be posting a video on Facebook later today of the entire event. You can basically see nothing. It's nothing but blackness, but you hear them whispering. And it is hilarious. But I love a good game. I love a good prank. But I love how Jesus flips the script. The things that we play by, so to speak. And he turns it upside down. And so if you haven't had a chance to listen to the previous week's messages, I'd encourage you to do that. You can listen on the podcast. But in summation, you don't need to have listened to them to understand what I'm about to preach. But life isn't found in an abundance of possessions, week one. You cannot find life in your stuff. Despite how great and sexy that 62-inch TV is mounted on your wall, it will not give you life, your job, your degrees, your promotion, your salary. You're new this or you're new that. It cannot satisfy the deep longing in your soul. It can't. 
And Jason preached the week after that on contentment, on this idea that what we really need most of all is Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that you don't have other needs, but Jesus Christ is the ultimate need. And when we truly find ourselves anchored in him, it's amazing how you can take a deep breath and find contentment and rest. And last week, God just showed up in a unique, special way in our church. If you happen to be here, the God of all generosity just ministered deeply to our church. And people got up from their seats, and we just had a moment where God was just moving generously, graciously, and mercifully in our lives as we prayed for people to be healed, as we prayed for them to be ministered to in their heart. It's a powerful Sunday. But now what do we do with all that? Turn to Acts chapter 10. I'm going to try to make the message high and tight today. Normally when I say that, that means I'm going to go. But I'm going to do my best. Turn to Acts chapter 10. You can follow along on the screen behind me. But sometimes when we talk about generosity You know, we've taken three weeks to kind of lay the foundation so that we could hear a conversation about what generosity really looks like and what generosity really means because in our culture, in Western culture, much is lost in translation. If you've ever worked or studied abroad, you know what I'm talking about when you're trying to have a conversation in another language and it's just not happening. Maybe you've been traveling and you just, you know what it's like to, to find yourself in a language barrier. I, I, was, I studied abroad in Austria for a semester and I had a professor and we were there over Thanksgiving. And, you know, he speaks German, but he's not from Germany. So there's a couple things, you know, Austria, there's a few things that might just be lost as he's trying to communicate. And we were, they were at a restaurant and they were trying to get an American Thanksgiving made. And the restaurant was excited because they've never done it. Understandably, it's an American holiday. And so prepping a turkey the way that Americans would eat a turkey on Thanksgiving with dressing and gravy and mashed potatoes, all the things that most of of us are familiar with this was this was unusual to them to make it like this and so they were excited about the opportunity and so the 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 kitchen staff is is getting all the you know the information to be able to make this this turkey the way it needs to be made and the professor asked for the turkey to come with and I quote Putin Tropfen now none of you even know what that is but he's trying to explain that if you, could, if you could put the juice, the dripping, sorry if that sounds gross to you, but you want a turkey to be succulent and moist, not dry. And so he's talking about, you know, the, the glaze, the juice, right, that you run over that turkey, especially right after it comes out of that oven. Hey, can you bring some of that, even bring some on the side for everybody? And the whole place goes dead quiet. And you could tell immediately that something has been lost in translation. And as they're 
talking and, and, and getting this thing clarified, the reason that the rest of the kitchen staff came out with tremendous confusion as to how you want this bird to be prepped is because what he had asked for, instead of turkey drippings, he had asked for turkey droppings. And so he had asked for his turkey to basically be basted with some turkey poo-poo. It was gross. Made for a great moment, though. And so when we talk about giving, when we speak of generosity, we have to go to great lengths in our culture because so many of us have watched things on TV. You've experienced things in churches. You've read things. This whole idea of giving in order to get the prosperity gospel of I give, but the real motivation is that I would get. And so the real heart, the, the, the heart change behind true, sacrificial, Jesus, Holy Spirit-led generosity is lost. We're taught things that are wrong. We're using words about it. And it's just flat out incorrect. Whether it's something you watched on TV, whether it's something that you spend time in another church, whether it's something you read on Facebook, generosity, it can look a lot of different ways, but it needs to be birthed and driven and led for real, true, biblical generosity by the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to read about a guy. He's an unsung hero in Scripture. He's a life insurance agent. that nobody really pays a whole lot of attention to. And God does something magnificent in his life and through his life. Acts 10, 1 through 5. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian, the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, my man has a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who's called Peter. It's a crazy story. Because you've got a centurion, which means this man led a troop of at least a minimum 100 people. That's pretty stout. The guy has commanding capacity. He has influence. He probably has a measure of charisma. Probably has tremendous work ethic. He's got all these things going for him, and yet none of those things are the reason why God chose him and moved so powerfully in his life in this tiny little instance. What was it that God got that got God's attention? Two things. Cornelius prayed a lot, and he gave a lot. That's it. 
He wasn't this amazing teacher. He didn't stand on a hill and, and as, you know, just spout out all of this wisdom. He had a heart that was so big that he spent all this time praying to God and he spent time giving wherever he could. And it caught God's attention so magnificently that it, God was compelled to send an angel to speak to him. Catch this. Because we miss this so much. We, we hear the word giving, and there's Giving Tuesday. You hear about giving every week in a church. If you've grown up in a church, you've received the offering. You've collected the offering. You've counted the offering. You've deposited the offering. You, you have giving this. You have giving that. There's giving for everything. You check out at Walmart, there's an opportunity to give to this charity. You check out at Target, there's an opportunity to give over here. We see giving opportunities everywhere, and we just sometimes become desensitized to the true significance of what it looks like to be generous. And God looked from heaven. And who caught his attention but a man who spent a lot of time praying and he spent a lot of time giving. This should convict us this should encourage us. You ever notice that you pay attention to the things that matter most to you? Or at least maybe the things that you're passionate about. When I, I don't get to spend time in other churches, but I love it when I do. Because when I go, not only do I get to worship God, but I am looking around how they do church. Why? Because I'm passionate about this thing we call the church. I want to know how they're running things. I want to know how they're helping people grow. I want to know how they're getting people in life groups. I want to know all of the things at other churches because I'm passionate about this. You might go to another church and never think twice about those things, but I do. You've probably got something that you are passionate about. And when you're around that thing in a unique context, it probably lights something up inside of you. My brother and sister-in-law are getting ready to open a restaurant in Nashville, Tennessee. And if you have the chance to go, you should check out their new restaurant, which is opening in several months, Honey Fire Kitchen. But guess what you get to hear when you're around them? You get to hear about Things that are happening in the kitchen. You're hearing about recipes. You're hearing about things. You're hearing about menu items. When you go out to eat with them, you're going to hear a different, you're going to see a different lens for how things are running. Why? Because they're excited and they're passionate about opening a restaurant. When you come to our house at Thanksgiving, you hear about two things. You hear about church, you hear about ministry, and you hear about food, restaurants, barbecue, and the likes. You might also hear some classic hymnals being played on the piano. A couple board games. What you're passionate about gets your attention. And what we see is that what God is passionate about, his attention is grabbed by. And what grabs his attention but a man that's praying and a man that's giving. Simple, isn't it? It's so simple. And yet we oftentimes trump up all these other things and all these other pressures and I've got to do this and I've got to be that. No, 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 no. 
actually, what if we just spent some time, even over the next few weeks, over the next few months, growing in two areas, in just cultivating a heart of prayer and cultivating a life where you had an open hand with the things that God had given you. God, would you help me to be generous with my life, with everything that I have? Let's keep reading. <clears throat> Acts 10, 25, uh, he, <clears throat> Cornelius sends some guys and they go get Peter and they bring him back to the house there. They're bringing him back to Cornelius. And in verse 25, it says that as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him. And he fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this very hour. At three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Now you've got to catch this, church, because the amount of humility the amount of reconciliation without having this I forgive you, you forgive me kind of moment. Gentiles and Jews didn't hang out with each other. Not only that, you do not have a centurion in the Italian regiment. This is, this is the enemy. The Jews and the Romans did not coexist well. And yet here something has happened in this man's heart and he's praying and he's generous and he has earned a reputation in his community as just a sterling man, as a man that you'd want to be like, a man that just, he gives his life away. And God shows up and says, I've heard your prayers and I've seen how you've given. Send for Peter, I've got some news that you need to hear. And I can just see this man, a man of great means, a man of wealth, a man of significance. Yet here he is, Peter enters his home, and he's probably been cleaning the house. He's probably had his servants doing this. He's probably tidying it up and getting things ready because he's a man of humility and reverence. And, and Peter walks in, and what does this man, this commanding officer of at least 100 people do? Gets on his knees. Out of reverence. He says, I'm so glad that you're here. Now you can tell us what God wants you to tell us. And Peter begins to share the gospel of Jesus. 
And an amazing thing happens because this is a Gentile audience in his house. And before anybody can pray the prayer, before anybody can get to water and be baptized, before any of the classic Christian things that we do, the Holy Spirit hits this room like a bolt of lightning. And this man's house began to speak in tongues. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter is stunned. Because he didn't realize that God wanted to bring the good news to anyone other than Jews. And in this moment, right here, church, the reason we are in a room worshiping God, if you didn't know, you, if you're not a Jew, which I don't think any of you are, maybe you are, congratulations if you are, but if you're not, like the vast majority of Americans... The reason you are here today is because of what happened right here in this moment where the, God, the message of Jesus is given now to the world. All because of one simple man who had the heart to pray and the heart to give and we are still impacted by his very life today. Thousands of years later, what this man did, he got on his knees and prayed and he gave his life away and we are still debtors to him even now. It's extraordinary what one person can do and how God can use one person to change the world if they will simply be humble, if they will simply be prayerful. And they will simply live their life with an open hand. <clears throat> My mom was in town and she, she was headed back to Nashville this morning. She's going to listen on this podcast. But basically she's, you know, an unrepentant Philistine for not coming to church this morning. <laughs> I love you, mom. But she tells the story. When my mom and dad were, when we were in St. Louis, we, we grew up in a very, very small home. 78 Caribou Court. And it was what you would call a tiny, tiny home. We didn't have much. And my father was, was attempting to, to step out in faith and get out of working at the Chrysler plant and do something different. And so he began to pursue a financial planning career. And if you know anything about it, it's hard to break into. And I'm pretty sure they were kind of straddling the, the one job and trying to break into the other. And it just was, it was a very difficult time. And we were having a difficult time making ends meet. And my mom tells the story of, right, I think the day before Christmas or the day before Christmas Eve, there was a knock on the door. And by the time they got to the door, and it, you know, it was the old, the, the screen doors, if you remember, the screen door opened and there wasn't anybody there. If they were, they'd driven off, but on the doorstep was a, was a white envelope. 
She picked it up and brought it inside, and inside was $200 in cash, which in the 80s was a lot more than it is now, but even still, I help you out. $200 is $200. Some of you are like, for real? Well, you know, my parents took that money and they just they cried at the kitchen table. Because somebody had taken the liberty to be generous. To be prayerful, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to hold what God had given them with an open hand. And it's amazing when we speak of one act of generosity and what it can do in the life of of someone, how it can transform a, a family, how it can transform a generation of people. You've got to hear this, church. If we will commit to God, would you use my life? Would you use what you've given me with an open hand rather than a closed fist? God, would you advance your kingdom? Would you allow my life to be a help to somebody else? And that moment transformed my father. Because he was absolutely committed to making money so that he could give it away. Just like somebody had given away to him. And so his job wasn't just about him anymore. It was, God, would you bless my life so that I can in turn bless another? My father died at 51. And I remember being at the wake, the funeral. And I remember all these people that I had never met before coming into the funeral parlor, which is odd to be so close to your father and yet not know so many people that are coming and attending this wake. And the line is stretching out, and I just, be, you know, you, when you have lost someone and you have a, a wake that you're, you know, in charge of, you do a lot of hugging. You do a lot of crying. You do a lot of talking, and people share stories. And I heard story after story of, of people that I had never met before and probably will never see again. All they had to share was that your dad helped us buy some groceries. We were going through a tough time. They helped us with Christmas when we lost a job. These weren't people that went to our church. They were people that I knew. Met your dad this at this place, and he walked over to my car, and he gave me some money because he knew we were going through a tough time. I scratched my head. I didn't know this whole side of my own father's life that was just... Giving, giving, and giving.
And afterwards, the attendant of the funeral said they had never had a larger wake in the history of the funeral parlor because the line literally went out the door and stretched down the street. I don't say that to brag on my dad, although there's nothing wrong with bragging on my dad. I say it to remind you about the first person who left $200 in cash on the front doorstep, not knowing that that single act and that single moment would inspire a lifetime of giving and honoring Jesus. And so we're sitting here today, we're in a series called Changing the Rules of Monopoly. And what I'm inviting you to do is to live your life in a way that is so different, that is so, it is so different than what the world would say you should live like. It's a different set of rules, so to speak. That you don't get ahead by getting more. You experience life by giving what you have away. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Freely you have received. Now freely give. Blessed are you. Blessed are those who give more than those who are receiving. So this morning, what we get to be reminded of is to give our life away. You might be sitting here saying, I don't have anything. It's not entirely true. You do. Maybe you don't have money. Okay. What do you have? Time? What do you have? Can you, can you bake? Can you cook? Amy and I have been blessed, beyond blessed, when somebody just out of the blue decides, I'm going to bring them some food, or I'm going to buy them this, or the simplest acts of generosity. You know this in your own life. When you think about people who've made a difference in your life, so much of the time, it's by those who have done something generously to you. You never forget it. Why? Because you are experiencing something that is so like the very nature and character of God. What did God do? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We serve a God who is a giver in nature. Church, I stand, I'm going to stand right here and boldly tell you, without any weirdness or manipulation, our church needs you and me and us together to grow in generosity, to step out and to give what we have, and for those who are already giving, to give more. But I also don't want to be confused today. Generosity is so much more than what happens with the collection plate or the offering basket as it goes around on a Sunday morning. There are people outside the four walls of this church who need your life.
who need flowers sent to them, who might need an envelope of cash, who might need a meal made for them. Maybe you can't do any of these, but you know how to make something. Maybe you know how to build something. Maybe you know how to fix something. Give it away. Do it. Give your life away. promise you, you will never regret it. The times where I have regretted, it's when I have held on to something that I knew I should have let go of. You know what I've never regretted? Giving something away. I never have. Man, I wish I hadn't been so generous. Nope. Never felt that way. Stand to your feet this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit, the the Spirit that gives rest for your soul is here. But that same Spirit who gives us rest and who provides peace and healing for a weary and tired soul, you know what else that Holy Spirit does? That Holy Spirit empowers you to live differently, to live with strength and confidence, to live fearlessly in this world, to live with irrational generosity, the kind of generosity that confuses and baffles and yet draws people in. Because our story of generosity, really at the end of the day, is really just us telling a greater story of generosity. Why do we give? Because we've been given to. Why do we get to be generous? Because God has been generous to us. And if there's anything we get to do, it's that we get to tell the story. We get to hold up the mirror. We get to show the world what this generous God looks like. And so this morning, I'm going to pray for us right here that God would loosen our hearts, that he would open our eyes, that he would release a new wave of generosity in our hearts. Father, we thank you. Even now on this great Thanksgiving, this great Thanksgiving weekend, we thank you that you are a good God, a gracious God, and a generous God. We thank you that you give and that you meet our every need, Lord. Even when we don't see it with our very eyes, we thank you that you are the God of breakthrough. We thank you that you are the God who meets us in our very place of need. And right now, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, I'm asking that you would breathe fresh life into our hearts and souls. Lord, that you would open our eyes and give us a fresh revelation of what it looks like to live generously with what you have given us. God, help us to own, help us to hold, help us to give. Help us, Lord, to hold our lives with an open hand, God. 
Lord, to give away our skills, to give away our passions, to give away what you've put in our life that we might be a blessing to those around us, God. Lord, help us to do it today. Lord, thank you.